Hello, beloved. Well, last week I wasn't here. I was down in Southern California. I was, uh, my name's Jody Van Ree, by the way. Nice to meet you. Um, I was down in Southern California. Eric's cousin got married, and he had always wanted Eric to marry them. And so I was the plan B. So um, there's this beautiful wedding out on the beach, Salt Creek Beach, like right down from the Ritz-Carlton and Dana Point. Anybody know that area? You know that area. It's super nice. <clears throat> but it was interesting because, you know, uh, we kind of did the tour of beaches, you know, going about from all these different beaches in that area and, uh, and how different they can be and how, how different the waves are, you know, even based on where the beach happens to be and its positioning and everything. And it was just so marvelous. I, I, lo- I love the ocean. How many of you love the ocean? How many of you prefer mountains? I actually, I love mountains. I love, love, love the ocean, but I really, I prefer the mountains. But um, it, the Lord was showing me so many things um, just through the waves and through how he directs them and how he is so mysterious and so vast and so incredible. And this morning we're going to be talking about some of that vastness, some of the amazing, powerful, incredible things that the Lord has done and how he created us for a purpose. He saved us specifically for a reason, that he didn't just save us just to make us comfortable, but that he loved us too much to let us just live a purposeless life. So this morning, um, the title of the message is Masterpieces on Purpose. So I have a question for you. Have you ever gotten a gift just like out of the blue, something you weren't expecting? Aren't those the best? I mean, Christmas gifts are cool. Birthday presents are cool, but they're kind of a little bit expected, aren't they? Right? Am I right? Or is it, am I just greedy? <laughs> I mean, but when you get a gift for no reason and you're not expecting it, isn't that the most amazing feeling? I love that. Or, or even sometimes when Amazon just drops a package off on your front porch, <laughs> you're like, oh, I forgot I ordered that. I don't recommend that. But when you get a gift like that, do you kind of run around and go, I totally deserve that. I deserve that gift. That, that's the furthest thing from your mind, isn't it? When you get a gift unexpectedly, and you know you didn't really do anything to deserve it, like be born or anything like that. Isn't that the most amazing feeling? So it talks, we're, we're going through a series in the book of Ephesians, and I know that this particular passage that we're covering today is one that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably read it many, many times. It's a really, it's a pretty um, common passage that we like to refer back to. And I just want to invite you this morning, just open up your, your heart and your mind to hear something new from it. Um, you know, there was a woman back when I uh, graduated from college, I went on a choir tour 
and we went to Norway. I toured with a choir called the Concordia Choir, and uh, I developed meningitis while I was in Norway. And um, it was a little terrifying. It was the middle of the night, and I had almost 105 temperature, and I was very, very sick. And I knew something was really wrong. I didn't know. I didn't know if I had a cerebral hemorrhage or whatever, but I knew there was something going on. And I was staying. I just coincidentally was staying with a, a family, and the father was a doctor, and his daughter was a nurse, and she just happened to be studying brain illnesses the week before that. And so I literally, in the morning when I heard somebody awake, I, I, I literally thought I was dying throughout the night. This is all part of my story about how God kind of got my attention. But I, I cried out to God in the middle of the night. And I just said, God, I don't deserve heaven. I know I don't. But if you let me live, I'll serve you. And that was kind of my prayer throughout the night. It was a really restless night. And I got up in the morning and I crawled up the stairs, literally just crawled up the stairs. And when this woman who was studying to be a nurse saw me, she knew there was something terribly wrong. And she called the ambulance and they immediately came and rushed me to the hospital. And I ended up, I was... I was uh, comatose for about 36 hours, and it was, pretty, it was pretty grave. And when I look at that woman now, her name is Tone Bjerke. She's Norwegian. And when I see her and when I think about her, I feel like I'm indebted to her. She saved my life. Legitimately, she saved my life. Have any of you had anyone save your life? I'm the only one. <laughs> God really had to do a number on me to get my attention. But when I look at her, I, I'm so indebted to her. I don't sit there and think, well, pff, yeah, she should have saved my life because I deserved it. I didn't think that at all. Instead, I was, I was overwhelmed with gratitude. And after 30 years, it was so interesting. After 30 years, I got this Facebook message Um, from this name that I didn't recognize, this Norwegian name, a friend request. And I kind of didn't know who it was, and sometimes I get some pretty bizarre friend requests, so I kind of didn't do anything with it. And then I got a private message, and it was this young lady, and she said, my mother is Tone Bjerke. She said, and I'm coming to be an exchange student in West Jordan, Utah. So I ended up meeting this young lady, and so because she was here in the States, Tona Bjerke and her husband Kenneth came to visit. And so I got to be reunited with her after 30 years, and it was so overwhelming, so overwhelming. And it was such a gift to see her again because of this deep bond that I had with her, because of this profound experience we had gone through together. And that's kind of part of what we're going to be talking about today, except on a much, much grander scale. So if you would join me, Ephesians 2, 4. But God. So you remember the, f- the three verses before that talk about 
how we were dead, how we were corrupt, how we were evil, how all of our inclinations and all of our intentions were contrary to everything that God intended. So we start in verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Isn't that just incredible? When you think about it, if you really take a step back and you're not just kind of going, oh, yeah, that's, I remember God's name. But you really step back and think about how unbelievable that is. How unbelievable. I love the message version. It says, it's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. (laughs) Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love he embraced us he took our own sin dead lives and made us alive in christ he did all this on his own with no help from us then he picked us up and he set us down where am i picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with jesus our messiah Now God has us exactly where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Jesus Christ. Saving is all his idea. It's all his work. All we do, get this, all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing ourselves. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both, excuse me, God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has already gotten ready for us to do work that we had better be doing. He gives us mercy for life. Mercy for life, both for life and for life. You get that? It's a little play on words. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 4, but God is so rich in mercy. He is so rich. Last night I had dinner with some friends of ours and they were telling about this guy that had started a major company. It's a credit reporting company. And if I said the name, you'd all know it. He's this man who he invented this company and then he sold it for a grillion dollars or something or eight grillion. And, um, he has 
uh, it's like a 40,000-square-foot home or 38,000-square-foot home up in the mountains in Ogden. And the guy is so rich, he never has to think about money. That's, I mean, he never has to consider it. It's, it's just abundant. You think about how rich that guy is with his Porsche and his Land Rover and his Lamborghini and whatever he has, all of that stuff, and how much more rich God is. You think about that. You think about the God, you know, the, you've heard the psalm that's, you know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's like, it's way more than that. But they're just trying to say, you know, you, you've seen like those fields full of cattle, and God owns it all. God owns everything. But he's so rich in mercy. Like it's an abundant, overwhelming, extravagant thing. That, that it's so much beyond anything we could even imagine. That his mercy for us. That all of the things that we deserve, he refused to, to meet out on us. You know, you think about the extravagance of our God. You know, you think about... Do you guys ever like to go out and just look at the stars? I love looking at the stars because they just speak to me of the extravagance of God. You know, he could have given us one star, and that would have been so cool. But instead, he gives us enormous amounts. And that same God wants to pour out his mercy on us. It says he loved us so much that even though we were dead... Because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. He's so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. I always like to say, Jesus is so nice. Isn't he? Say that to your neighbor. Say, Jesus is so nice. Say, you deserve to be toasted. Tell your neighbor. Go ahead. But God gave you mercy. Tell your neighbor that. We were dead because of sin. How many of you so, you, so you heard Ira's message last week. He talked about our depravity. How many of you kind of have ever embraced that philosophy that humans are generally good? That we're, for the most part, we're, we're good, Right? I remember when I was raising my kids when they were little, there was this um, parenting philosophy going around that you should never say no to your child because that will squelch their creativity. (laughs) Fortunately, I had the Bible to to use as my parenting manual, but that was a legitimate philosophy that was very common, at least in the Bay Area where we were living at the time. And so you'd see these kids and their parents wouldn't say no to them. Now, what happens if you take a human being who is completely self-centered and completely self-motivated and you never say no to them? What happens to that person? Yeah, they go off the deep end, right? Prison or something, I don't know. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's To me, it's astonishing that people say that human beings are, are generally good. Now, I think because we're created in the image of God, we desire those things whether we know him or not. I mean, even before I knew the Lord, there were certain things that I, that I wanted to do, I, I desired, but I think that's because the Lord is revealing himself to us. 
He's revealing his character to us. You know, uh, they say that Ephesians chapter 2 is kind of like Romans in a nutshell. One of the scriptures that I love when, I, when I'm uh, struggling in an area where I feel like um, I've let God down, which, as you know, we can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit and we can do things that are not pleasing to God, but ultimately, he's so rich in mercy that he continues to pour out his love on us, whether we deserve it or not. Oh, there it is. Wait, back up. This is one of my favorite verses. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out all the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion and it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Anybody know who the author of this particular passage is? Do you remember the context? David had lusted after a woman, set out this whole plan, committed adultery with her, and then murdered her husband. And this is what he had the gall to pray. How many of us would would be afraid to even come into God's presence if we had done those things. But here's what he says, have mercy on me, oh God, because of your unfailing love. That's the thing about mercy, is that God could just flick us, and that'd be it. And that's what we deserve, because we were dead in our sins. But because he loved us so much, because he's so rich in mercy, he gave us life. Ephesians 2, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. That's when he gave us life. Exodus thirty three nineteen. the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will, call, I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. I will show mercy on anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. You know, we have this concept in our minds that you get what you deserve, right? Don't we? And, we, and then we Christianize it by saying, well, you reap what you sow, which is true. Is it not? But do we really get what we deserve? Are you so grateful for that? You know, God is a just God because it, it's clear through the scriptures that his judgments are in all the earth and he is a just God. But the fact of the matter is that he doesn't give us what we deserve and that's what mercy is. And he gives us restorative justice. He doesn't give us retributive justice, which means retribution. You get retribution for what you did. He gives us restorative justice, which is a justice that brings life, and it brings hope, and it brings freedom. Um, We are seated in the heavenly realms because of this, because of his restorative justice. Ephesians 2.6, it says, 
For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. I love that Adelphi talked about the heavenlies because that was the thing that I was really studying um, this week when I was thinking about he seated us in the heavenlies. You know, there's two, two things going on in the heavenlies, right? There's God seated in righteousness and majesty in the beauty of his holiness, and that's where we're seated. And then there's the demonic heavenlies, you know, where it talks about later on, we'll get to that in Ephesians 6, where it talks about the principalities and the rulers in the darkness, in the heavenlies, but it's talking about wickedness. There's that warring, and you know, because it says that the enemy, our, the enemy of our souls stands and accuses us night and day, that the enemy wants to accuse us, but God, because he's so rich in mercy, he raised us and seated us with Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. And the reason that he did that is so that he could point to us as examples. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's like that gift that you get and you're like, oh, really? Well, why? I mean, it's not a bribe. You know, it's not like God's doing it just to get something out of us. But he's doing it in conjunction with his plan for us to fulfill us and to release us to be who we were called to be. Um, Deuteronomy 7, it says, For you, he's talking about Israel, are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. And you know, we as believers are his special treasure. You know that you are chosen. That he loved you so much that he picked you out. Isn't that awesome? Don't ever get used to that. Don't ever get bored with that. That's profound. I mean, I look back on my life. You know that time when I was in that, my deathbed in Norway, crying out, going, God, I don't deserve heaven. And I knew it. I knew I didn't deserve heaven. I was dishonest. I, was, I had an eating disorder, I was dealing drugs, I was promiscuous, I was a compulsive liar, I was a kleptomaniac, all of these things. And instead of, instead of God just saying, you deserve hell, he poured out his spirit on me, he poured out his love. And when I think about that, that now I can be seated in the heavenly realms with him. It blows my mind. And if you think about your life, even if, well, I'll get to this later. Um, one time when I was five years old, I went to this, um, it was this thing in Minnesota called the Viking Crusade, and it didn't have anything to do with football, but, um, but it was this crusade where they came and, you know, had their horns, and, and I, I don't mean like evil horns, I mean like, you know, the Viking hat. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that. Um, 
but they had this crusade and they said, okay, we want all of you to sing with all of your heart, Jesus loves me. And whoever sings it with the most excitement gets to come up and we're going to record you. Oh, honey, I was all over that. (laughs) So I'm five years old, and I mean, I think I probably burst my lung or something. I was just like, Jesus loves me. And all of a sudden, the guy, you know, the the place is packed, packed with people, kids, little kids. And he comes up to me, and he goes, you. (sighs) Awesome. That That was the start of it. I went up on that stage saying, Jesus loves me, and they made, remember, do you remember in the olden days when they had these round, they're kind of like a CD, except they were black, (laughs) they were called an LP, (laughs) they made one of those, with me singing, Jesus loves me, but think about that, I had to sing my little guts out to get up there, but God is so rich in mercy, And he loved us so much that he picked us out when we weren't even paying attention and said, you, come and sit here in the heavenly realms with me. That's who we are when we're in Christ. We should see things from a different point of view, don't you think? In light of that, in light of that, when you encounter trials, when you encounter hardships, when things don't go your way, it should be so easy for us to go, I'm seated in the heavenly realms. What can man do to me? You know, if God is for me, who can be against me? I mean, all of these things, I just encourage you, when you enter into a trial or you enter into some kind of hardship, instead of just going south with your attitude... Give thanks. I just said to somebody this morning, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We should have a different point of view. If we're seated in the heavenly realms with Christ, in Christ, should we not see our circumstances as something that's beyond our control anyway and that God is going to be glorified in our lives? Amen? Amen? Isn't that the truth? Think about a trial right now that you're in, that you're going through. Just think about a trial. Think about something that you'd really like to change this in your life. And if you don't have that trial, hallelujah, enjoy this season because it's coming to an end. (laughs) (laughs) But just think about it. You're seated in the heavenly realms right now with Christ. He has a solution. Bad stuff's going to happen to us. Bad when I say trials, hardships, right? But we're seated in the heavenly realms with Christ, and he chose us. He chose us. Did I offend you? I offended her. She's like, bad stuff's going to happen. I'm out of (laughs) here. Sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. Does she get embarrassed? She doesn't get embarrassed, does she? Oh, you got coffee all over you. I'm so sorry. Okay, we're seated in heavenly places. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. The eporanios is what it's called. It's the heavenlies that talk about heaven 
and the demonic realm. Do you guys remember, any of you that are old enough, um, back in the, I think it was the 90s, um, the Frank Peretti books, Piercing the Darkness, This Present Darkness, it was so cool because what he did was he, he did it in layers, like there was the layer of what's happening here, what we see, and then in the heavenlies, what was going on. And it was so cool. I mean, it was obviously fantasy, but it was, it was such an interesting perspective on what's going on spiritually. Because you know that you have spiritual powers and forces that want to destroy you. They want to ruin your day, every day, all day long. And if you are seated in the heavenlies with Christ, you recognize that you have the victory. That when we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, we have the victory, despite what things look like. Isn't that such great news? Aren't you thankful that you're chosen? That you're his special treasure? Yes? Woo! I am so glad about that. And I believe, I could be crazy, but I believe that the heavenly realms are probably more real than what we see here because our senses can deceive us our own perceptions can deceive us and lead us astray but when we're seated with christ in the heavenlies and we allow our minds to be formed by him by his principles by his truths by his word and by his voice we always know that we have the victory it says he holds victory in store for the upright we're upright. We stand before God. And remember, when you go through trials, it says, just stand. Because you know that we have the victory. Are you guys excited about that? Are you glad for that? Aren't you so glad that we don't have to live defeated lives? And I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel, okay? I, I would prefer, for those of you who don't know, I my husband went to be with the Lord five months ago, and coming up on six months ago, and I'm still in mourning. I mean, there's the reality. It's not like I'm walking around going, oh, hallelujah, everything's so great. I mean, I'm mourning. I don't like this. It's not comfortable. It's not very much fun a lot of times. But I still can thank God because I know that he is sovereign, that God is in control, and I'm so grateful for that because I'm seated with him in the heavenly places. God points to us as his examples. You know, it says that he does this so that we can be examples of his incredible riches of mercy and grace. He wants to use us as examples. Now, personally, I don't always understand that. <laughs> I don't understand why God would take a person like me and use me for an example of his kindness and grace. But when you hear my story and you hear my testimony and what God delivered me from and is still delivering me from, he is to be glorified. He is always to be glorified. In Philippians 2, 14 and 15, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Anybody convicted yet? <laughs> do what without grumbling and arguing? Everything without grumbling or arguing or murmuring or growling. I growl. I'm a growler. 
something doesn't go my way. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. What? Think about this. By the fact that you don't grumble, but instead you give thanks and you don't argue, it says you can become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. How many know we're living in a warped and crooked generation? Then, after you become blameless and pure because you don't argue or grumble, then you will shine among this warped and crooked generation like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. How do we hold firmly to the word of life? By not grumbling, but instead giving thanks. By trusting that God is good. By any standard, God is good. No matter what, you com- what you're going through, no matter what your life looks like, God is good, and we can give him thanks, no matter what. And then we will be good examples. Then we will be good witnesses of him. Because people, I'll tell you, those that know that you're a Christian, and I hope that it's not a surprise to anybody in your circle of influence when they find out you're a Christian. The worst thing that I that happens to me, well, not the worst. Okay, that was an exaggeration. Sorry. Something that I dislike very strongly is when I meet people and I've known them for a little while, like say, for example, at the gym or something, and they don't know that I'm a Christian. That bothers me. I want people to know that I'm a believer, that I'm a disciple of Jesus. You know, sometimes they'll go, oh, so what ward do you go to? You know, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm I'm a Christian. (laughs) But that just always makes me go, oh, what am I doing wrong? You know? We are to be examples of Christ. And the world is going to watch you when you go through hardship. The world's going to watch you when you're struggling. And so instead of grumbling and arguing, give thanks. Isn't that, doesn't it seem like such a simple fix? And I say this all the time. I know I say this all the time. I woke up the other morning, and I, and I just thought, I'm going to give thanks this morning. I, I woke up with kind of that, you know, some, t- some mornings you wake up with that gray cloud. Anybody else? Especially, you know, going through morning. I mean, if the first thought in the morning is, oh, my husband is not here, it can be easy to just kind of let my attitude go south, you know? But I just, I thought, you know what? I'm going to give God thanks. And it changed my whole day. It really did. Changed everything. And I know that it seems like such a basic thing, but I promise you, money back guarantee, I promise you, if you wake up in the morning and start to give thanks rather than grumbling, your day will go so much better. You just wake up with praise. Wake up with worship in your heart. says he gives us gracious gifts. Ephesians 2, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is, get this, not a reward for the good things we have done. 
It is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We still fall back into this as believers, don't we? We fall back into the, well, I've got to do these things so that God, you know, will like me or whatever. I mean, I still, I see it here in, in not specifically just this church, but in this, this area, Utah, I still see that works mentality even in the church, the Christian church. Don't you? Do you guys see it too? Do you see it in yourself sometimes? Instead of just receiving that gift and going, God, I know I don't deserve it. I know I did nothing to deserve this. But yet, God. But God. Don't you see it too in your own sometimes where you're like, oh, I didn't have a quiet time, you know, or whatever. You know? And instead of just saying, God, you're good. You know what? I miss you. I'm going to hang out with you. I want to hang out with you. And just making it just a lifestyle. I think that's why the Lord had to put the book of Galatians in the Bible is because we tend to fall back into this thing that says that somehow our salvation is contingent upon something that we've done. And it isn't. I promise. We're called to enter into the rest, into God's rest that he provided for us. That rest is that he did it all. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He did it all. He saved us when we believed. Hebrews 4, 3, we can, or it says, for only we who believe can enter his rest. In verse 9, it says, so there's a special rest waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. And what this is talking about is that we can enter into the rest of God, into that Sabbath, into that place where we trust fully in him, completely in him, no matter what we go through. It says we cannot take credit for this grace. I love this story about the contrast of those who, you know, I talked about my story where I did this and that and this and that. And every, all of those things that I mentioned, you could probably all go, yeah, that's some bad stuff. You know, my story is one of those, I, I, say, I call it the made-for-TV testimony, which is not what we want for any of our kids. <laughs> but the thing is, there's also the contrast with that self-righteousness and the pride if you were raised in the church or you were raised in a different kind of religion or whatever where you kind of think well Luke 18 9 it says then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else two men went to the temple to pray one was a Pharisee now the Pharisees were the you know the religious leaders of the time It says, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. (laughs) 
the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. We can't take any credit for it. We do good works as a response to what God has already done to us, for us, right? One time I went into um, the dollar store and it was right before Christmas and there was, there was a woman there and she had this huge uh, cart full of all these things and she proceeded to tell everyone in line all the good things she was going to do with them. Well, I'm going to bring these down to the children at the rescue mission, and I'm going to do this. And I just was like, you know, not, not to be judgmental, but I was like, wow. I mean, it says we're supposed to keep our acts of righteousness between us and God, that the reward is, is with us and the Lord, not with other people. But it was just, it was like she was just patting on her, herself on the back because she, she felt so righteous. And I just remembered this particular story. You know, I do this and that and this and that. And when she gets to heaven, I don't know if, if she's going to come to know the Lord or whatever. I'm not the one who determines that. But you know, it says, Jesus himself said, many will come to me saying, I did this, I did that, I did this, like this Pharisee. And they feel very justified in themselves. And if you're one of those people that you think that because of the good things that you do, that you're saved, I warn you, rethink this. It is not because of anything you've done. It is not a reward for being good, being a good person. It has nothing to do with that. Our righteousness, as I think Ira mentioned last week, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness is, you know, the... the, grossest, most filthy, dirty thing that you have, that's as good as we can be compared to God's righteousness apart from Christ. We are kingdom masterpieces. Ephesians 10 says we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, does it seem contradictory that I'm saying, well, all these good things... What I'm saying is that the good things are not the things that save you, but we still do the good things because that's what we were created for. Okay? Is this making sense? Do you understand? He saved us so that he could use us as examples so that we could do the good works that he already prepared for us so that we could be completely satisfied in him, so that we could enter into that rest with him, so that we could be set apart. That's what the word sanctified means, to be set apart. So it means like um, this little clicker thing. When I click it and it changes the things, this thing is being sanctified. It's being set apart and used for the purpose for which it was created. We... We're created for purpose. The lie that the evil one wants to tell us is that you no, you weren't you don't really have a purpose. He wants us to feel hopeless. 
He wants us to feel, like Adelphi was saying earlier, he wants us to feel like we don't belong. Because we don't belong in this world, but we are here to glorify him, to be set apart as examples, to, to win this crooked and perverse generation to Christ. God has designed each one of us uniquely. 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. You see that? It's the same God who does the work in all of us. It's like as we surrender and as we give ourselves over to him, he does the work in us. And it says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can do what? We can do what? Are you guys paying attention? So we can help each other. We are called to service. We were made new. It says that we were made anew. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God saved us and set us apart and set us in the heavenly realms so that we could be examples of his incredible grace and mercy and kindness and so that we could do the things that he already prepared for us in advance. Galatians 5.13, it says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You know, the choir that I was talking about that I toured with, um, I went to Concordia specifically for that choir. It was my dream. I, I saw them. They came through my hometown, and I heard this choir, and I was like, I want to be a part of that. And so I went to Concordia specifically to be in the choir, and unfortunately, the very first year I didn't make it, I was devastated. Because I came out of a small high school. I was kind of the big fish in the... wait. Yeah, big fish in the little pond, and then I went into the ocean, and I was a little minnow. And so I went, and I was devastated by that. So I sang in the freshman choir. There were around 1,000 people who auditioned for, the, for 67 spots. And so um, the second year, I made it in this choir, and it was so strict, and they had such a standard of excellence that even if you were sick, you had to go to the rehearsals to sit. Like, you'd, like the choir would be up here rehearsing, and you had to sit there and listen so you wouldn't miss anything because each and every member was so important that the entire sound of the choir would change if even one person was missing. I mean, we had to, when we got there, we had to sign a statement that said that we would commit to being at every single rehearsal. I had to go and beg this the board. I had to go beg them to go to my great-grandmother's funeral, which, was, which would have meant missing one rehearsal. I mean, it was extremely strict, but they understood the importance of every single person and how significant they were. And that is such a picture of the body of Christ. That, you know, if, if there's something that God is putting on your heart or there's something that you could be doing for the Lord, not to win your salvation, but as a response so that you can be fulfilled, so you can become who you were created to be. And if there's that thing, God will give you the grace and he will give you what you need and you will be released. 
He's called you to live in freedom. And that's part of that freedom. It's not bondage to be a servant to righteousness. Does that make sense? You know, we're going to be slaves to something. We're either going to be slaves to ourselves and to sin, or we'll be slaves to righteousness. And it's much better, I promise you, to be a slave to righteousness. Because God wants to pour through you. He wants to use you for his glory. And, and at the Concordia Choir, when even one person was missing, it created a huge void. And in the same way, in the body of Christ, when even one person is missing, it makes a huge difference in how we operate and how we function. And that's one of the things, you know, the life world dream that the Adventure Church is about. It's growing your life, you know, you know cultivating this relationship with Jesus and then impacting your world and living your dream. One of our main focuses and our main values is that we want each person to discover who they were created to be so that you can be completely fulfilled. We offer all kinds of opportunities. If you aren't aware of them, we have Base Camp, which is an amazing program that you can go through. And we have the Connect Ministry. We have Tiffany Velez, and she is functioning in exactly who God called her to be. I mean, it's amazing to watch what she's done. If you happen to see the Connect desk out there, it's a way to get people connected into what God has called them to do or created them to do. We, we're going to do a blueprint class. We're in the works on that right now. We're coming up with some dates. But the blueprint is to help you to, to discover who God created you to be and to be released in that so that you can be free to use your life, to be sanctified, to, to be used for the purpose for which you were created. Um, Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Again, we do these good works to bring glory and honor to God not to bring glory and honor to ourselves. God prepared these things in advance for us to do. He even made it easy that way. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. To do what? Serve others. Not like the Pharisee, like, Oh, I've done this and that and this and that, and I'm not like those evil sinners. Right? But to go, God... You've given me the gift of grace. You've given me salvation. I want to I live my life for you. I want to bring you honor and glory. I want to see other people experience the same freedom. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, God's grace is, is revealed when each of us is doing what we were called to do. If anyone speaks, they should do Do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I just want to encourage you again, if you're not serving someone else, if you're living a life 
that is self-serving, you cannot be fulfilled. You cannot be fulfilled. God intends for us to live together in community. The only way that we can learn how to forgive is to be offended, right? And that's going to happen when you're elbowing up against other people, right? He's called us to serve, and that is where we will be fulfilled. You know, stop by that Connect desk on your way out. If you're not serving, just find out. Talk to Tiffany. Find out. Where are some needs? What are some things that I could do? Because God has already prepared these good works in advance for you to do it. The the only fulfillment is when we are sanctified, when we're set apart, used for the purpose for which we were created. And so I encourage you with this last passage, 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you failed the test of genuine faith. And the reason that I'm, that I'm saying this is because more than anything, I know that, that we're mandated to preach the gospel, which means the good news that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your works, lest anyone boast. But I would never want anyone to feel in any way like they're doing okay with God if they don't really know him. I'm really passionate about this. Examine yourself. Do you really truly believe? Can you embrace that grace is a gift? Can you embrace that fact? Do you believe that you were created for a purpose? Do you believe that God wants to use you as an example of his goodness? We have that opportunity each and every Sunday, and I don't ever want you to miss out. I don't ever want you to miss out on the grace of God. You know, there's no such thing as a self-centered Christian. It's all about him and his kids. And so I just want to encourage you that if you haven't found that purpose for which you were created, if you're unfulfilled in your life, Jesus wants to give you opportunities to serve so that you can be released and set free. I'm not saying this to get stuff done. I'm saying this for your freedom, for your your advancement in your own success in him and your own fulfillment. So can we just pray together? You guys, would you mind standing? Oh, Lord, we just thank you that you are so good, that you are so rich in mercy, Lord, that you poured out on us your mercy. Lord, that you gave us that gift of grace. Lord, that you picked us up. Lord, you raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms with you, Lord. God, that you want to use us as examples of how good you are, how rich in mercy and grace and kindness. 
Lord, we don't understand why. We don't understand why we're your special treasure, Lord. We don't understand why, why you would choose us, but we're grateful, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that, you, that we are your masterpieces. Lord, your, your special creation, Lord, the poema, the, the, the beautiful masterpiece that you created each of us to be, Lord. We stand against the lies of the evil one that say that we are not masterpieces, Lord, when your word clearly says that we are. God, I pray for each and every person who wrestles with this lie. I come against the, the accuser's lies that would say that, well, everyone else has gifts, but I really don't. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that by your spirit, you would release people into the gifts that they have, into the gifts of your Holy Spirit that you've already placed within them, that you've already given them, Lord, and that you would begin to show them, Lord, the things that you've prepared for them in advance. And for those who've never come to know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would come to see who you are. I pray that you would reveal yourself by your spirit. Pour out your spirit on this place, Lord. Pour out your spirit, God. We need you. We are desperate for you, Lord. We, we are overwhelmed, God, with your goodness. And we love you and we magnify your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.